I kind of run into digital nomadism by accident. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. It was just work, sleep, train, eat. No social life, no parties, no drinking. Just focused on one goal. The one goal at that point was to stop being poor. And I knew I had to pay the price of social disconnect in order to focus on physical, mental, spiritual, and business growth. The goal is not to be problem-free, but the goal is to become better and to solve bigger problems. I want to get to places where not everyone is. You never know who's watching, so we have to make sure your messaging is correct. If the value you're providing is right and for the right people, selling is not a bad thing. I learn as much from my audience as they learn from me. What's something I can do every day? Hey there, real quick. If you enjoyed the show, please support by following on your favorite podcast station, review and share it with your peers to help them and me out because I don't run any ads and every share helps. Thanks and let's jump into it. Hey Jesse, welcome to the show. Good morning for me, good evening for you. Excited to be here, Gabe. Thank you so much. We are literally almost 12 hours apart. Yeah, so I'm currently based in Medellin, Colombia. It's beautiful, sunny Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. And it's always exciting to me that we can have a conversation like this while you're literally like 15,000 kilometers away from me and I think 12 or 13 hours ahead of me in time. So I think that's to name the show, like the, the Nomad Solarpreneur. I think that's the beauty of the game, right? Indeed. I'm calling from Bali and we're literally on the other side of the world. I'm always loving to say that I'm living in the future here when I'm in this part of the world because you're always ahead of time. And speaking of Bali, I know that you've been here as well. Can you tell me what other nomad hotspot you've been to and why did you choose Medellin? So I kind of run into like digital nomadism by accident. Like I always love traveling, but like when I was working corporate from like 2017 till 2020, I traveled always like in between jobs. So I quit job, went traveling, mostly like South America. But then 2020, I started freelancing and I started work for myself. And 2021 hit and I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm kind of stuck in Amsterdam because it was like lockdown and stuff. My relationship ended. I, again, I started freelancing. I was like, well, why not just combine the thing that I love and the work that I do? So then I got stuck in a good way in Costa Rica. And I became home for like a year and a half. In between, I went to Bali as well. I've seen Eastern Europe. But every time I kept coming back to, to Costa Rica. And now since three months, I'm in Medellin, Colombia. Because I was kind of fed up with the beach, which I know sounds weird for most people. But I was like, I don't want to chill that much on the beach. I just want to focus on the business, focus on the personal development. I've been to Medellin like a few years back as like a backpacker, as like a traveler. So I knew there was like something to the city. So I came here in January, like with not much of a plan, just like, okay, I'm going to stay here for a month. That month turned into three months. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to probably stay here the rest of the year. I found a really strong entrepreneur squad here. Mostly people that I met via LinkedIn, which is super cool. And everyone's like in the same space, like in the creative slash content business or agency space. So for me, currently Medellin is a really good, I would say, nomad slash expert place for me to, to stay that's awesome. I heard only good things about Medellin and probably it's a better place to be than in Bali where it's really crowded right now and a lot of tourists. And you mentioned you start freelancing around 2020. Why did you choose to quit your job and work for yourself? Well, funny enough, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. 
but I did know that I wouldn't work for the rest of my life for a boss or for a company. But especially in mid-2020, I was working for my bedroom in Amsterdam as like literally the whole world. And I would say the pain of staying in that position was bigger than to just, I would say, figure it out. So kind of on a whim, I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to start writing online. On a medium first, I had no clue what I was doing, but that led me on, I would say, the path of becoming a digital creator and now being able to turn, I would say, that creative thing into a sustainable LinkedIn business. I'm following your work for quite a while now on LinkedIn and the content that you put out there is not visible that just a few years back you were just starting, you know, a lot of content creators and a lot of writers that are starting years before you don't arrive at this level. What's your secret? How did you end up progressing that fast? That That's a big compliment. First of all, thanks for that. <laughs> I don't see it myself that way because you're so in it. Sure, I see progress, but like the day to day, you don't see progress. But that's why I, for me, it's quick side stuff. Like I focus on the day to day execution, but then I zoom out on like 90 days in terms of like, okay, where am I heading? And in terms of like, I would say getting better or getting better at my craft, it's an unsexy answer. It's consistency, literally that. Like tomorrow actually is is my one year anniversary of posting on LinkedIn. So tomorrow marks 365 days of posting in a row on LinkedIn. Because back in April last year, I was fed up with Twitter and I was like, okay, I do want to make LinkedIn work for like the 900 time, but I could never could make it work. So I was like, Hey, I need to set up a challenge for myself. So what started as like a 30 day writing challenge on LinkedIn, like 30 day of posting blown up. And now I'm still 365 days in and I've been able to build my business out of that. So that's been a crazy story, but I would say that I would say getting better at my craft is just execution. It's like, I understand that you get better at writing by writing more. And especially since October last year, I really heavily invested in my own development in terms of getting in the right masterminds, getting in the right rooms, getting the right coaching, mentorship, et cetera. But just people are ahead of me building a business or have built a business that I want to have. So just getting those rooms. And again, my default is execution and, and action instead of trying to optimize and trying to perfect everything. So I think that's kind of like the unsexy secret to what i've been doing yeah and sexy but in the same time true for so many successful people because you cannot learn or you cannot improve if you're not executing continuously and as you did every single day showing up and posting and improving and so on and one of the things that i see a lot of people struggling is getting in the right rooms like you mentioned how did you find in this immensity of noise that internet is to connect with the right people, to search for the right help and actually improve your skills, improve yourself as a person. Because you mentioned mentorship, you mentioned other ways you invest in yourself. How do you find the right resources without being overwhelmed or? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say there's a few things to unpack there. I think in order for you, for the person or for you to accept help you first have to overcome your ego and understand that you don't know everything and that you have to get help in order to get aware of your blind spots and that took time that took like two years for me i would say two and a half years of writing because in the beginning you're like ah i got this all figured out i don't need help everyone is stupid i'm the best etc etc you know how the ego just talks to you and somebody you're like ah, 
if I'm so good, why then I don't hit my targets or why am I not there where I want to go if I'm so good? So that makes you just question that things. And I would say a big lesson I learned in terms of like finding the right help is to exactly cut out the noise and find a handful of people that you vibe with, that you resonate with, and they have built a business that you want to have built and then just consume everything that you like. Because you and I could have the same goals, but we can take different mentorship and different like, coaches to get there. So I think there's indeed like this information overload in courses, coaches, whatever. And I would say through my content, I got into content with people that also create content. And then through that, I'm really critical. Like, okay, is this something that's helping me or is it something that I enjoy spending time with, whether it's like reading their content or just being their ecosystem. And then I'm like, okay, I think I need to double down on these two, three sources. And that has been the biggest leverage point. Currently, I'm in the phase that I'm in a little bit more masterminds and groups so that I already feel that some days or some moments, the energy is a little bit scattered. Whereas in October, I was literally in one mastermind and one mentorship only. So I could literally like double down on that. So yeah, there is a lot of noise, but I would say the moment you find one person that you vibe with or resonate with, plus they're getting the results that you see yourself getting, I'll say don't stop looking for something else and just be with this person for whatever long till you take all the lessons that they can teach you and then move forward. Yeah, that's brilliant advice because always following someone that it's a few steps ahead of you and vibe with that person because you can admire someone. It's in the same spot that you want to be. But if you don't vibe with that person, it's pointless because you won't connect, you won't work great together. And that's super important. And how do you manage to structure your time when it comes to being part of these mastermind groups, investing in yourself, creating content, working with clients? Because we all know that being a creator can be overwhelming. Yeah, that's a constant work in progress. Uh, like I structure all my creative works in the morning. So I'm really up early every day, about like 4, 4.30ish. And then from 5 to 7, I do all my creative work. So it's writing, that's structuring my carousels for LinkedIn. So more the design work. Or at this point, I started adding YouTube to my toolkit. So it will be recording videos as well in the morning. Then I always have like a break in terms of like like a gym session. I like to do my cardio in the morning just to be active. And then I would say from nine-ish to one or two is the room for calls. I don't run too many calls because I run a group coaching program for LinkedIn creators and for six-figure entrepreneurs. So then we meet for that and much more of the day-to-day stuff of like running the business. Like it's heavily focused on LinkedIn, like the DM management and all these things. It's like two spots at the day, the morning and the afternoon. But as I said, it's like a constant work in progress. And literally just before this call, I got off a call with my health and performance coach who's helping me optimizing my day-to-day structure there because I do know that I need to have structure in place because I'm like, a, I, would, I see myself as a creative mess, like notes everywhere, relying on a really good memory. So I know exactly what's been written in which doc or I can do something on the fly, et cetera. And I, sure, that got me to this point, but I know to get to the next level, I have to structureize things more plus and now at this point that I understand that putting more hours in the business doesn't give like the 10x return, but it's like focusing on the right things. Yeah, true. And when it comes to focusing on the right things, what's your main priority? Mainly because I would say I have two main priorities, which I know is kind of a weird answer because there can only be one thing. It's audience building on LinkedIn, because that's my biggest asset. 
and it's running a successful cohort with my with the experts that i coach they tie into each other like i see my linkedin is like the playground like everything that i teach experiment with battle tests etc is stuff that i can feed back to the people that i work with so i'm my own guinea pig there plus i understand that it's a huge asset so on linkedin i'm like not i'm not the biggest creator but like 27k of like engaged people that's a huge asset so that's a big priority for me to keep nurturing to keep building and to keep strengthening that that position of like seen as like an, like an authority within my industry definitely and speaking of numbers uh because you always heard that numbers doesn't matter how important is that number for you i would say i was in that camp as well like i said numbers don't matter but numbers do actually matter because it's a form of status it's especially in like the digital world that we're currently living it's form of like it's a status symbol it's a flex almost sure we are also living in the, in an era where followers can be bought but i don't think that's the case on linkedin because it's much more personalized and safe in, or secure but i do figure i figured out that it's easy to get yourself in the door with a bigger following than a lower following so there's definitely something to say there there's a more like weight to your to to your name and i would be lying if i said that i wouldn't care about the following account but it's like as it's not the main service that i sell it's not something that i heavily focus on but i do know that it's a less it's a important metric to focus on but not the biggest one because i understand okay there the comes reach with it but again i sell lead generation which doesn't really matter if you have like 10k follower or 20k followers so i make my clients really aware of the fact that hey you're not hiring me to increase your following account but it will happen as a result of the work we get done together they are definitely interlinked and since a lot of those listening probably are not at this level of following what would be your advice for them in order to not get drawn into this dopamine thing and focus on what you did constantly improving your content constantly posting and actually sharing as much value as possible because at the end of the day that's all about what will be your advice for them to be able to stay focused on the writing when they start creating well i like to focus most of my attention and energy on the things that i can control instead of the things i can't control and so for me it's a big thing to focus on the output instead of the outcome what i mean with that is that i can control the output that i deliver every day which in the beginning of my linkedin journey was three posts a day some people think it's crazy i know i could put up with that consistency i was like so there's like 90 posts a month which for me is just super easy i currently i'm back to one because it's better for i'd say the growth of my account but i would say that's something i can control what's something i can't control is the amount of followers that i gain sure by getting better at your craft it's easier to add more followers but still it's up to the algorithm and the world to gain me that so i would say that the big piece of advice is there get clear on why you want to grow an audience because without a strong why you will fall off track at some point you will get discouraged you will get this demotivated because you're not seeing the results you expect to have because the content game is really hard the amount of people that i've seen rise up real fast and then just completely fall off stage in the three plus years that i've been creating content on medium twitter and linkedin now is insane And so for me the thing that I keep telling myself is I learned this from Alex Ramosi is I can't lose if I don't stop. 
And that's literally, I'm not stopping today. So just another day of content creation, just another day of content creation, just another day of content creation. And we know about, if we think about habit creation, we do something for 30 days or 60 days, it becomes almost part of your identity. So then it becomes, okay, how can I not lose this streak? Like I mentioned earlier in the chat, tomorrow is like 365 days of posting on LinkedIn. But it's <clears throat> almost a thousand days of writing online and publishing online. And just, I don't want to lose that streak because that drives me nuts. So then the goal becomes to not lose the streak. And by not doing that, I just keep going. And I know in the end, I will get the results I'm hoping for. Perhaps not in the time frame, but that might be that my expectation in the beginning were wrong. So take the circle to tie it all back into one advice. Know why you're doing it, but then break it down. Okay, what's something I can do every day and make that the goal? Like the goal is not to grow 100 followers a day. The goal is to write the post every day because that's something that you can control. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's one thing. And the other is the fact that being drawn on, let's say, algorithm advice that you have to post for X amount of times on LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, is just not going to work for you. As you mentioned, if you are able to do X posts per day, do that. If you're able to do more, do that. But don't be drowning the numbers game and start posting as much as possible because won't be sustainable. And speaking of sustainability, how do you create the content itself? You batch create content or you simply stay consistent and create every single day? I would say I batch ideate. So I currently have a structure for myself. So on Monday, I write a more like lead generating post on a Tuesday, like today, I have a carousel on LinkedIn, so a creative post and once etc etc so i know like okay which day of the week i create what kind of content and then my brains helps me just like ideating in terms of like okay this is the frame this is the box and then ideate on that what i do on sundays is this i'm gonna like map out or like prepare these ideas for the week so that every morning as i sit down to write again my morning deep work block i don't start with a blank canvas so i just open my notion and i see okay today i write a hand raiser post about this topic there is really a lot of like notes and brain dump, but that's how my brain works because I'm just getting notes while I'm doing cardio, whatever, I'm just getting them. So the moment I sit down to write, there is already pre-work done by past Jesse, which is amazing because together we form a team, like past Jesse and present Jesse together, we get something that will benefit me in the future. I tried batch creating, but I just like writing in the mornings because without the, the morning feels a little bit empty. So then I'm like, what else should I do with my time <laughs> in the morning? So I think at some point as I'm branching out to YouTube at something, there will be perhaps more creative works there. So yeah, that's a little bit how my creative process works. I think the biggest improvement that I made recently is splitting the ideation process and the creation process, because the stronger the ID and the better it's prepared, the easier the writing process becomes and the better the results get. Yeah, for sure. And love that process. It's actually something that I play as well. When I started creating, I was literally staring at the blank screen and ideate in the same time and write and it was a nightmare. I spent so much time writing and now I do the same. I simply record short audio notes for me, automatically transcribed. And when I look at them, oh, this is the thing that they're going to post that day and so on. So I have a similar process, but for those listening and for those that are literally try various approaches and so on. I want to challenge you to create a piece of actionable step-by-step -step process. I'm not sure if there is such thing as a universal framework, but let's say that you can put something together that's easy to follow. Like 
a simple step-by-step process for anyone new at content creation to get the ball rolling, to start creating, and probably they don't have experience. Let's take that into consideration as well. Cool. Well, set aside all the mental obstacles people have to overcome, which I can't really give advice for. That's something that you get started and just figure out your demons along the way. In terms of a phrase, what helped me in the beginning and still to this day, the moment that I'm like stuck on inspiration is just asking myself the question, what's the advice I wish I had six months ago? Because by going back to my six months past self, I'm like, back then I struggled with, let's say, generating a lead to a YouTube video. Okay, cool. How did I overcome this problem? Okay, this, this, and this. And then by me, just like, just reverse engineering what I, like the problem I had, what I felt, how I frustrated I was, like the things that I did to overcome it, the results I'm getting right now and how life is right now. So it's like a, the transformation I went from like before and after. So then I'm like, okay, that's almost supposed already because I know I can speak from a frustrated space to what I did to a desired stage. So let's say in terms of a step-by-step process is like, hey, what's the advice you wish you had six months ago? Because I think six months ago is long enough for you to think, okay, back then I was a different person or in a different season of life, but it's still something you can, I would say, visit, vividly remember because it's not three years back. And then just in the beginning, just take out a piece of paper. Don't worry about editing, formatting, hooks, whatsoever. Just just put out the story like what was the beginning state what was the end state what are the things you did to get over it was it like get help read a book lock yourself up in the woods in the forest and just figure it out etc what are all these things and i think then already you have a good framework in terms of open post and that might be the first one but that's i would say it's the hardest to get the first post out and then you just start iterating like stuff you think you find interesting but i would say just always start with your personal experience because in the beginning people are like oh i want to write about how to get a seven-figure business, but they're not even started in the business. So that makes them feel like an imposter, but you are the expert at your own life. So just start with writing about your own experience because we all have done stuff. Like sometimes we think like, oh, we haven't done things. Sure, you did because six months ago, like you had a problem that you overcome. Otherwise you wouldn't be here with me in this room. Probably it's one of the most underrated piece of advice I ever heard about content creation. Once, because it's, as you mentioned, so easy. You have an experience, you have a life, you can share that. Secondly, we are humans and we relate to other stories. And what can be simple than that? And speaking of stories and speaking of humans, let's switch a bit the topic on the personal side, if, if you don't mind. We all know our Purple Ranger, Jesse, but where you were a few months or a few years ago, you mentioned you quit your job, you start freelancing, how was the actual journey to arrive at this point? Well, it was a, and it still is a roller coaster ride with high highs, low lows. And, uh, but now and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. It kind of like sounds cliche. Like I said earlier, it's like, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur, but now I'm like, well, I can never see myself working in a corporate job anymore. Like, I'm not saying that I won't be working in a company, but it would be probably a company I found myself with probably like my best friend or friends, but besides up there, like. For me, it's fascinating to be able to create the life that I dreamed of and that I every day is kind of like a dream day because I can literally do whatever I want to do. And like content creation allows me to do that. So I don't see my business as being work. It's just like I have a platform. I have a channel. I have a medium to just 
share things that I'm find important, stuff that I know at this point helps people because I know how many people want to generate high quality leads through LinkedIn, but don't know how to do it. Like I had that problem too. I solved it for myself to this point. So now I'm like, hey, how can I help others solve this problem? So in terms of like the entrepreneurial journey, it started with content. It started with writing without much of a plan. I started writing in the beginning on Medium about personal development, mindfulness, entrepreneurship, digital marketing, like stuff that excited me and interested me and stuff that I had somewhat of an experience in. And through that, I'm like, hey, there's actually a way to monetize this and build this into a business. And now writing is just a, it's a hobby, but it's a hobby that is monetized. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I've had really low lows. I hit rock bottom twice, but I also have high highs. And I think that's the beauty of the journey because that allows me to, I'll say, again, to cliche, to, I'll say stay humble and to appreciate the moment, but also to know exactly why I'm doing this because I want to build something for myself that's powerful and just super cool to have, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And it answered actually partially. And I want to go a bit deeper into this because I feel like usually we are getting inspired not only by the successful stories, but how we actually overcome the most complicated things. And you mentioned that you hit broke bottom twice. Can you share a bit more about that and how you overcome it? Sure. Like in hindsight, it's always easy to speak about the scenarios, but I would say in both situations, in both like the way to get into rock bottom was, I think, I have to figure this out once still, but it's like an ongoing process. It's It was the result of chasing a few shiny objects at the same time, thus getting distracted. But that's also, that's only the thing that shows up in, let's say, three months from now. Like, ah, back then I was distracted. So business is going down. So I've got nothing going on. Just, I would say the lack of focus got me in the position. And I would say it's, the first one was just not focusing on sustainable cash flow, but much more like living from project to project, which was cool, but it was like the headache. So in that way, I was like, okay, I learned the lesson. Okay, cash is king. In the second rock bottom, I was like, ah, now I learned the lesson of the compound effect. Like, so everything that you focus your attention on compounds over time, but the moment you shift direction, you will lose momentum. You have to start from zero again, which is kind of interesting because I was already on the consistency thing for like writing for like two and a half years back in that day or like two, two years. But by just switching, I would say my focus, I lost momentum every time. So then every time I had to start from zero and so, sudden, suddenly I was in rock bottom. I was like, oh shit, I'm in a problem right now. And that's a big hole to, to duck yourself out. And the last one, the last time that I hit rock bottom, I made a really drastic decision to relocate to Costa Rica in the middle of rainy season and to just lock myself up in literally like a jungle house for a month and then a little bit more civilized house. But still, I just worked for like six or seven months. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the term monk mode. That was literally it. It was just work, sleep, train, eat. Like no social life, no parties, no drinking, no distractions. Just focus on the one goal. And the one goal at that point was to stop being poor. Because the pain of, of being poor at that moment was so big. that I was like, okay, how can I do everything that's moving away from this? The, the goal was to make money, but it was like fear-based. So at some point I got out of that and then I had to like rewire my motivation because, okay, it's not more fear-based. I'm now in a place of like, how can I trans transform this into a place of abundance? And then just build upon that foundation. 
and just keep uh, remind myself daily of the pain that I've endured in those two rock bottom times. And I'm like, that's not something I want to go ever again back to. If it happens, I got the skill set and the network and a little bit of the confidence more to get out of it because I know I didn't die the first two times, so I won't die the third time. So yeah, it might happen. It might not be happened, but the goal is to steer away from that with the lessons learned, I would say, in those two things. But very much with the understanding that life can throw you curveballs and stuff might happen. But like one of the things that I keep repeating myself in terms of like entrepreneurship is to, the goal is not to be problem-free, but the goal is to become better and to solve bigger problems. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is that there are a few things that you mentioned there that I feel a lot of people go through. Personally, I went through them as well. Being comfortable and not chasing the new client, literally living from project to project and saying, oh, I'm good. I have a work right now. I'll probably get a new project and so on. But not having that consistent cash flow, not having that cushion that something happens, you get sick or whatever, and you're not able to work for six months. What's going on then? And the other one, switching focus. And if you don't mind to go a bit deeper into that, what was all about? Like you're focusing on a particular niche or a particular topic you write about and you completely switch to other things, or you simply start doing other things and not focusing on the thing that you already started. And why that affect us? I would say the switching there is much more in terms of the offering. If I think back of the first time rock bottom, I was in the wrong vehicle, like opportunity vehicle. I had a small audience on Twitter. I was trying to sell cohorts at a too low price point instead of just making sure that I was working with clients. So I was with a bigger audience that would have made sense because I was trying to play like a volume game. So if we think back of like the business model of Justin Wells, which I think we all know from LinkedIn, he builds one of his income streams is like a multiple million dollar business stream from a $150 course, which sounds nuts. Like you and I kind of can't pull that up with our audience, but in his case, because he's such a big funnel on top, he's like a 400K on LinkedIn alone. He can do that. And I was trying to be in that model from the start. And it took some time to figure out, okay, this is not the opportunity vehicle I need to be in. I need to be more on the high, the surface side of things in terms of closing in that case, super low tickets. Back then it was high ticket offers, but just making sure, okay, that's the focus. And I would say by switching constantly between to, trying to work with people or trying to work with clients, trying to launch products, trying to work with us constantly. So you constantly, I guess that you lose momentum on both fronts. Yeah. You cannot split your focus like that and be successful on all fronts and going to the monk mode now, how tough is that? Because a lot of people try that and unfortunately fail miserably and ending up in either burning out or depression because of the isolation and so on. How you managed to do it? You mentioned six months you were able to do that. What was the secret of succeeding for such a long period of time? I think it comes down to your why. Like, why do you want to get the results or the goal that you set? If your why is big enough, you will do anything that you do there. Plus, like I said, like I use the big pain to not be poor as my fuel, literally that like the goal is to not be poor. And that will come at some point shifted. Okay, now I can build a sustainable business out of that, but at least I'm not poor it again. So it all comes down again on text ends with perhaps people like, oh yeah, cookie clutter advice or whatever. It comes down to mental resilience. Like how bad do you want it? And what, how much pain are you willing to endure to get there? Like I know the path that I'm on is definitely not easy, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else because I can literally do whatever I want to do with my, I would say, 
business, brand, etc. Sure, there are limitations. Like I can't fly private yet, but I would say at some point, perhaps that might be something I can work toward to. So I think it comes down to like, why do you want to do it? And a big thing for me is also to accept it. It's going to be hard. And I, to quote Alex Ramosi again, like one of the things he says is like, this is what hard feels like. So we know we are on a hard part, a hard journey, like entrepreneurship. And then it's we can expect that it's going to suck at times. In fact, it's going to suck most of the times. But if we are really clear and we're really rational, like we knew that was coming. So it, we know it sucks. So we better just embrace it and just get better. And just, I love doing hard stuff. And in the moment, you're like, why the F am I doing this? But again, in the end, we get the results. So I think monk mode, sure, it's mentally tough because it's lonely you have clients you're like why the f am i doing this but it kind of for me is like hey what else am i going to do like there is at that point like no point of return plus i would say in terms of the loneliness like i at some point i began to understand that i want to get to places where not everyone is so in order to get there i have to do that most things that most people are not willing to do and in my last monk mode i literally moved from amsterdam to costa rica to from a really heavy, distracting social life, super unproductive to a extremely lonely, no social life in Costa Rica. And I knew I've had to pay the price of social disconnect in order to focus on physical, mental, spiritual, and business growth. That's something. And apart from this journey, what I admire is how open you are and how straight, like, this is not for everyone. This is not something that it's easy. And a lot of people don't understand that. They just envision the success of solopreneurship or building your own business and so on, but they don't envision the hard work, all the roadblocks that you can encounter on this path. And that's huge one. As you mentioned, it will suck most of the time. You have to embrace it and you have to build something that you actually enjoy doing, not just like you see others do. And arrive at the point that you're successful, that you're making the amount of money that you want. And of course, still working on it and so on. And you mentioned that your main focus now is to getting leads for your clients and focusing on that part. So I want to touch a bit on the lead generation part of LinkedIn, because that's something most of people struggle with. And I think if you are able to get into more details on how your approach works, will help tremendously anyone listening. Sure. And I know it's a hot topic. Like I know I'm, I would say I'm solving a sexy problem, but I'm solving it in an unsexy way because it's not like paid ads, like a button you can switch on and it happens yesterday. So I help my clients create a content-based selling system, which is true content. We use authority building content and lead generating content. Like we put out the right pieces we generate leads to their inbox. So no paid ads, no engagement pods, no hacky things. Well, no, I would say no extremely cold outbound. There is some form of outbound that's more like in terms of like, how can we strategically net shape our network? So which people do we need to add? Which people need do we need to build relationships with in order for A, to prime the relationship, but also to, I would say, nurture that in order for them to see our content. So. In everything that I teach, content is like the, the main driver because most of my clients, they run into the issue that their client is not that active. So I help my clients get clients. 
So in order for me to do that, I need to understand who their client is. It's a little bit made out there, but most of their clients are not active or not publicly engaging or exposing themselves on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn is the biggest business platform in the world, like 900 plus million and still counting users. So you never know who's watching. I've had clients with less than 200 followers close seven-figure deals based on one post with a literally like no engaged audience, but we put out the right message. He got a lead and he closed the deal because he was so specific. So what I always tell my clients, like, hey, you never know who's watching, so we have to make sure your messaging is correct. So we speak into what I like to call the photos. It's like the fears, the objections, the desires, the obstacles, and the frustrations. We pick one of those and we use it in our content because we want to hook people on the emotions they're feeling. A, because that allows them to lean in and to learn with us, but also it shows the clients that we speak to that we understand them, which is a big thing. So it's heavily on content with my cohort-based program. Like I give all the frameworks and all the teachings to educate my students on how to write these posts, because again, they're the driver of our brands. In my one-on-one engagement, I kind of do this a little bit step further because I'm providing them with all the stuff. It's almost like a fill-in exercise, like, hey, this is the stuff we need to write about. And then I fine-tune that in, in terms of optimi- optimizing it for LinkedIn in order to just craft these pieces. Because I see LinkedIn posts, all even though they have like a small, small lifespan, like one to three days, like a viral post, a little bit more, we want to make sure that these assets work for us. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dickie Bush from Ship30, one of the yeah. biggest cohorts on Twitter. They see content as like a an army of digital warriors, which I 100% agree with. Because the more content, the more right content I send into out into the world, I can go on with my day. And so for me, like writing a good piece of content is a high leverage task. So that's why I do it every day. So that's not something I want to outsource at any point because I know the better I get at my craft of creative content, the better high quality leads I get into, but also the better I get at my craft of extracting what I did for myself to all my clients. And then it's a constant feedback loop because I see my clients doing some stuff with what I provided. And based on that, I learn, I iterate for myself and they iterate for me. So it's a constant loop. So I think that's the beauty of like the content game in terms of like the business, like it's learning and building and crafting in public, getting feedback from actual feedback from the market. So yeah, long story short, content-based selling systems is what I help my clients set up. And there is like some part of like strategic engagement there. So we use LinkedIn, but we also use like building out a funnel through email, because I think especially together, those two are a really good combination. Uh, so it's building up the funnel, it's creating the right content, putting the right creative assets in place. But I would say I mainly work with people that already have most of these things on their own. Because again, it's hard to overcome the the imposter syndrome at the beginning of writing. I think everyone needs to do that on their own by just execution. But the people that are ready, I'm like, hey, I have a successful service business on whatever platform like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, but struggling to get leads through LinkedIn is people that I help with like setting up this content-based selling system. Yeah, that's amazing. I definitely agree that content can be extremely powerful. And especially with the thing that you mentioned that a lot of those prospects are not engaging. A post can get X amount of likes or comments and so on, but gets hundreds of thousands of impressions depending on on the post. And many of those are prospects. And you mentioned human psychology, frustration, objection, and whatever they are facing. And how do you usually structure a post? Of course, you all know the hook and the meat and so on, but can you be a bit more detailed? Yeah, so I think using the emotions is a big thing. So like I said, the photos, the fears, the objections, the desires, the 
the obstacles and the frustrations. Don't use them all in the same post, but just use a fear-based post, a desire-based post, etc. Just a really good exercise for the audience is just to take a piece of paper and just write out all these things about your client. The good thing is, especially with the objection, they often tell you this in sales calls. Oh, I can't do this because of X, Y, Z. So the best thing to do is in content is use the words of your clients. Because by doing that, you show them that you understand them and it just you have other people like them gosh, nodding their head behind their laptop. That's one of the most powerful pieces of validation because then like, oh gosh, this person gets me. So then they're really interested to interest. So use emotion to show your audience that you understand them, but also to just make sure that it's actually a good fit to your ICP, your ideal client profile. Second, what I always like to do in content, it's about the transformation. It's like, where are they right now? Where do they want to go? And how can I help them get there? Or how did I, in terms of a case study, how did I help George, whatever, get from painful to desired situation? So it's, I would say, adding in the, the emotions. It's talking about the transformation. It's having a really clear call to action. So who are you for? What are you helping with? What assets do they need to have in place? As you think back of my previous answer, for my cohort, I don't work with absolute beginners. Not to be like an asshole there, but hey, I need you to have certain assets in place. So you need to have a service offer within the four-figure range. You need to have a 5K plus audience on LinkedIn. Because so all the things they need to have in place themselves, because that's for me proof that they have done the work before, that they understand certain things. They have an offer for me to help themselves. All these things. So in a call to action, I'm calling out these people like, hey, if you are XYZ doing XYZ and have this, I might can help you. I'm not saying like, hey, send me a DM in terms of like get help because A, no one feels addressed to. And if we think back of the famous words of Seth Godin, like speaking to everyone is end up speaking to no one. So I want to be specific. And I think especially something that I see early stage or early earlier content creators make is trying to speak to everyone and then they end up speaking to no one. So I think to tie all this back into one piece of advice, have one person to write for, ideally a past client, because you know exactly how this person is because you work with them. Tap into their emotions. Like I said, the photos, tap into the transformation, the before, the after is always a really strong one. And make sure that if it's a sales-oriented post, make sure that the call to action is clear because we often think that we our audience understands what we're about and that it's clear, but we underestimate the fact of just making the ask like be clear like what do you want the reader to do at the end of the post is it to dm you is it to book a call is it to like it's to share again people make the mistake there to do it all at the same time they have to follow you and do this no that's confusing again to quote another marketing legend donald miller from story brand if you confuse you lose they only got one chance to keep their attention so they have to post you have to see it as like a funnel they read the hook they read the meets they read the call to action Keep it clear and simple. One one call to action. In my case, it's often a DM because that's where I build a relationship, have the conversation in order to figure out, hey, is this person something I can help? Instead of overwhelming them with like nine things to do. Like, hey, do this ain't going to work because you're confusing people. So I think that's in a nutshell, like how a, I would say, ideal post would look like. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. And personally, I learned so much and I definitely do a lot of those mistakes of being not clear and posting too many call to actions. And speaking of literally selling type of post, how many is too many in one week, for example? Good question. I had some, I would say, conversations with myself, which I have a lot about that topic many times. In the beginning, I was like, okay, I can't sell too much because I think I exhaust my audience. 
But then I came to the conclusion that the thing that I sell is selling. So I have to speak about selling, show that people that I'm selling, et cetera. So like I sell lead generation. So what do I do for my own brand? I need to do lead generation all the freaking time. Plus, I would say if the value you're providing is right and for the right people, selling is not a bad thing. That's something I had to overcome. Like my business mentor, like literally every post of him is selling something because he got a lot of offers, a lot of things, but he also has a really good understanding of the problems his audience has. So every time he just solves a problem and it's not selling, it's like, hey, you got a problem. I know this problem. I can solve it. Let's work together or buy this thing. And I think especially on LinkedIn, selling is, oh my God, it's so bad. It's not. It's like a limiting belief that people, A, don't want to sell or it's been in the wrong way. So then again, get like a bad rap. So yeah, I would say, sure, there is, there needs to be a balance, but I would say a big thing that I teach my clients is as well, is like, know which game you're playing with each post. Like for today, my post has been a carousel, which I do every Tuesday. The goal with that post is audience growth. It's highly educational. It's giving away everything that I normally teach, but then just in a written form. I expect that post not to generate leads because it's not focused on that. I expect it to do well in terms of reach and engagement. With all the other posts, I'm like, hey, the goal of this post is to generate leads. So I don't care about impressions and those penalty metrics because the success of that post is measured by the amount of leads it gets me in. So I can do those posts all week long, but then I do know that I pay the price of a lack in audience growth. Again, know which game you're playing and whatever you're going to do, you end up paying a price. Everything in life comes from price. Is it audience growth or is it lead generation, et cetera? Like some people are really having on the audience growth. That everything they do is like really good at content and valuable and stuff, but they can't monetize. That's cool. It's just which game you're playing. I can't thank you enough for sharing all of this. I feel like I pick up your brain for my audience and hopefully they take notes because all these advices are like gold mine. And speaking of advices or maybe like sharing, what's your favorite resources? Because you mentioned some of my favorite people like Donald Miller, Seth Godin, Alex Ormozzi. What books or podcasts or resources you are using in order to continue learning and experiment that our audience can learn from? Yeah, so you mentioned them already. Alex Ormozzi, I would say, has been one of the biggest impacts on me last year by just literally consuming every podcast that he put out. Mindset-wise, vision-wise, content-wise, copywriting-wise, product-wise, etc. So I'd say the game, his podcast, is a really good one. Snippets, really short. Everything is valuable. His book, $100 million offers, is really good. It's a product book, but it also helps with marketing, positioning, branding, copywriting, etc. So I'd say that's a big chunk. And as you think back of like earlier in the conversation, I like to pick a few people. And then if I vibe with them and I resonate with them and they're at some point that I want to get to, or at least partially to that direction. It's like, okay, I just consume everything I can instead of trying to have 19 different sources. So Alex Ramosi is a big one. Business-wise and content-wise, I'm working closely with Sean Anthony. Like his stuff is amazing in terms of monetization. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I think I'm doing well. And then I compare my stuff in a good way to his stuff. I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, that's where I need to be in three years from now. So I see him as like a really powerful source there. And he's a great example of, especially on LinkedIn, that audience size doesn't really matter. Like my audience size is three times bigger than his, but his LinkedIn revenue is much higher than mine. So again, that's a good reminder there that it's just about the messaging and speaking to the right people, solving the right problem. So I'd say those are the two biggest sources content-wise, business-wise. And in the next season of business, I will be looking for different people that are ahead of me. 
I love that advice because if we overwhelm ourselves with a lot of content, a lot of resources, we won't end up creating. And speaking of creation and speaking of working with you, can you tell our listeners how they can reach you and work with you if they want? Sure. So my full name is Jesse Van Bruegel. In Dutch, it's Jesse Van Bruegel, but I think that's pretty hard for your audience to remember or even pronounce. So that's why on LinkedIn, I added at some point the purple dot because my branding is purple. Like I'm kind of purple-ish today with the shirt. Not any intent, but I would say this is the most purple shirt I got. Just follow the purple banner on, on LinkedIn. I started on YouTube as well. Again, Jesse Van Bruegel, full name. And I think that's the best way for people to get in touch with me to see what, what I do. I got a free newsletter, a free blog. It's called the Creator Academy. People can find it on the creatoracademy.xyz. All the free stuff, like literally, I think a, a good summary of what we discussed today can be found there, just in all the articles and those blog articles. That's something that I just keep sharing because I understand that not everyone wants or can work with me on like a service basis, but I still want to help my audience get to the point where I'm currently at because I try to be the guy that I wish I had at the beginning of my journey. So I just continue to keep sharing my lessons, build in public, learn in public, like all these things, because I learn as much from my audience as they learn from me. Everything that I would say, all the feedback, comments, response, et cetera, it's just, it's feedback. It's like, it helps me to get better at my craft. Also like no feedback is feedback. So I would say my full name, Jesse Van Bruegel on LinkedIn and YouTube, the Creator Academy for all the free stuff and just follow the purple branding and like often like a smiling bald guy or whatever and you will find me. Awesome. And I'll also share the links into the show notes for everyone listening. And thank you so much for sharing that, Jesse. And you brought so much value into this episode that I will definitely take notes while editing. And to wrap things up, it's your time now to create a challenge for our listeners. A short one, they will be able to complete in less than 24 hours. That will up their content creation game. That's a good one. And I'm all about action, like what's well, something that we can do at this very moment. So I would like to encourage the listeners to pause the recording to get a piece of paper, write down the question, what's the advice I wish I had six months ago? Start to start writing out the answer, put it into a LinkedIn post or whatever platform of your liking, whatever it's like YouTube, Facebook, whatsoever, just get the post together, screenshot it and send it to me for a little bit of extra accountability because that's an action you want to take today so if you have been struggling with content creation if you're overthinking it whatsoever get started with the advice you wish you had six months ago and from there you can take the next step but at least get started get off from that zero love it that's short actionable and definitely can be done in less than 24 hours without procrastinating without postponing thank you for sharing that and thank you so much for joining the show and as we you're both welcome. Best Buy through Costa Rica. Pura vida, Purple Brother. <laughs> Pura vida. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check the show notes where you'll find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one. We have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gabe Marushka, with the Nomad Solopreneur Show. Until next week, Pura vida.